Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support anytime you don't have to hide how you feel whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth or a phantom of night that hath no home or one that lieth dead in the desert or a ghost unburied or a demon or a ghoul whatever thou be until thou art removed thou shalt find here no water to drink Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Still creepy. So creepy. I noticed something new still when we watched that. I just saw the little guy's face in the mirror, that intro sequence. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, try to, I say it along with the prayer. Mm-hmm. Like, it, like, okay, please keep me safe this week. <laughs> uh, welcome to the fifth episode of Scared to Death. Hello. I'm Dan. Hi, Dan. I'm Lindsay. And hopefully you're about to be terrified. Probably. Uh, probably. Hopefully. I, I feel good about terrifying people today. Great. That's mm-hmm. awesome for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So before we get started, yeah. yeah, we just wanted to give a big shout out. Thank you to all of our fans out there who have been doing such an amazing job of reading and reviewing the podcast. Yes. And I know it's kind of obnoxious, right? But actually, it's really, really helpful because when someone is looking for a new creepy podcast yeah. and we're in that like top range, yeah. they see us pop up and they're like, okay, what's that? So the more ratings and reviews, the higher up in the charts we climb, the mm-hmm. bigger the podcast gets, and that just makes it more possible for us to keep doing this. Yeah, and we want to keep doing it because it is a lot of fun. So it is I love so doing fun. it. Uh, love telling these stories. It's such a fun challenge. Yeah, and uh, yeah, just having a lot of fun with it. So and thanks for the subscriptions on YouTube. A lot of people are starting to co-watch it. I, I see the pictures on Instagram. Yes, where people are like in bed as a couple watching oh. it at night, which I think is awesome and terrifying. And and you and we're, we're going to get right to it. We don't want to banter too long at the start of the show because we hate when other shows do that blah 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 so i know you want to do some sage yeah i gotta burn a little bit of sage because i'm convinced that this studio is haunted Mm -hmm. it's uh 65 degrees in here while the rest of the studio is about 70 Mm -hmm. so that's creepy (laughs) so i'm just gonna protect us before we get started okay great okay while you do that a couple uh thank yous uh to the risotto show in st louis uh, thank you guys for talking about this and turning on so many listeners to our show. We really appreciate that. The uh, uh, Rizzuto Show FM uh, in St. Louis. And also, uh, you can find their podcast. And also, Heartland Radio 2.0 in Indianapolis. They have also been uh, talking about us. I-, I was able to come on their show and talk about Scared to Death. And a lot of you uh, Heartland listeners have been checking us out as well and very much appreciated it. And-, and we'll chat more at the end of the show about some recent scary things that have gone on in our lives. Uh, you know, right now we're just going to try to get into these stories a little quickly. Last little housekeeping to start the show is that Sumerian demonic protection spell that kicks off the show. A lot of people have been writing in and asking about, you know, the, the words. So we will post those in the episode description, uh, going forward for the foreseeable future. So you can just look right there where it's really handy to kind of, to kind of get it. And now you're getting your blanket on, you get your socks on. Blanket. Yep. I got on my fuzzy unicorn socks. Okay. Uh, got two tails as always today. Uh, the first takes us to North Fleet, England, 1962, to a poltergeist terrorizing three separate families in the same building. Oh, cool. And then the second final tale takes us to Brookfield, Connecticut, 1982, a tale of two demonic possessions ending in a murder. Sometimes I, sometimes I feel like the first of the two stories is a little less scary than the second. I think both of today's tales uh, e- have equal nightmare potential. Cool. I, I'm just glad that you don't say, and then this happened in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Maybe not yet. Please don't. We'll get there. We'll no, get there. <laughs> I don't want you to. I would appreciate it if you never did that. Like, maybe that's my limit. Okay. All right. Are what? you ready? Yes. 
time now for the tale of the North Fleet horror. The small city of North Fleet in Kent, England, in an old, it's an old, old town. Goes back at least as far as the days of the Romans, just 25 miles east of London on the banks of the famous River Thames, buttoned up against Gravesend. Having survived numerous wars and plagues, it's seen its fair share of death. And in 1962, it seems as if one of its dead decided to make their presence known to the living. Great. 28-year-old Sidney Maxted and his wife Susan, together with, with their three children, six-year-old Kevin, four-year-old Linda, and less than a year-old baby Claire, moved into nor number 16 Waterdales, a small semi-detached house a short walk from the North Fleet Cemetery. A cemetery opened by the city in 1891 when the local parish's cemeteries simply ran out of real estate for the dead. Prior to the Maxted family taking up residence in this particular home, one of many homes built along a lengthy thoroughfare in the 1930s, there appears to have been no history of paranormal activity at the residence. And then in 1962, something was either brought inside or something was woken up. Uh-oh. Shortly after moving in, Susan started hearing odd noises. Initially, she dismissed them as the settling sounds one could hear in any home. But she gradually became concerned that they got uh, harder and harder to explain as being just typical sounds one would hear in any naturally settling wooden structure because they sounded very much like footsteps. At first, she heard the footsteps here and there for a few seconds during the daytime. They came from her second floor front bedroom, which was situated directly above the first floor living room. When she would be downstairs, she'd hear what sounded like someone pacing back and forth across her bedroom floor. Ugh. And at first, only Susan heard the footsteps, always when no one else was around. So initially, somewhat easy for her husband, Sidney, to write them off as auditory hallucinations. Susan must be hearing something that could be easily explained, maybe just her imagination. But then a few weeks after Susan started to hear the footsteps, Sidney started to hear them as well. Aha! He agreed that what they now both heard sounded exactly like someone walking in their room, and like his wife, he struggled to find a reasonable explanation. Whenever he'd head upstairs to investigate, no one was there. On several occasions, they both heard the footsteps together, and both ran upstairs to try and catch whoever was in their room. Nothing. Nothing. It was maddening. How could they both clearly hear someone walking when someone clearly wasn't there? Then after a few weeks, in addition to the noises, Susan started to hear... Uh, or started to feel a sense of dread in the home. She suddenly wanted to move. The new house just didn't feel, for lack of a better term, right. Acknowledging that she sounded crazy, she told Sydney that it felt like something else was living with them, and that that something did not want them to be there. See ya. Sydney tried to set his wife's mind at ease, telling her that there had to be a perfectly reasonable explanation for the footsteps, and that her bad feelings about their new home were probably just based on the two of them not understanding what the explanation for that noise was. Sydney attempted to convince Susan that the footsteps, like noises they were you know, hearing, had to be come from, or the footstep-like noises they were hearing, had to be coming from the adjacent house next door, number 14, where another renter had just moved in. Okay. When their perfectly human and absolutely alive neighbor walked around their home, they must just be hearing them through this shared party wall, as it's called. It's an interior wall shared by both homes. Due to an odd bit of architectural design, one of the bedrooms of the adjoining house actually sat over the top of the entrance hall to the Maxted's home. So they must be just hearing some strange acoustics of a poorly designed building, hearing nothing more than, than an echo of sorts. Mm -hmm. And that explanation worked for a time. They both wanted to believe it was just a neighbor. So they did. And for a few days, Susan and Sydney started to feel okay again. But then their two oldest children, the four and six-year-old Kevin and Linda, started complaining about some other new noises. Uh-oh. They started hearing the sound of something scratching in their floor, something scratching underneath their beds, <sighs> something that sounded like it was trying to claw its way into their rooms. Again, Susan was initially freaked out. Sydney initially had a perfectly reasonable explanation. Mice. It was just mice. Had to be. Nope. Not fun, but certainly not paranormal or anything to be afraid of. Sydney called an exterminator who would be over in a few days to sort it all out. But then the kids started complaining about something else, something no exterminator could help them with. The children told Sydney and Susie that something had begun to pull off of their pull their blankets off of them in the middle of the night. Uh. And one morning, young Kevin walked into his parents' bedroom and told them, "The thing making the scratching sounds wants us to go away." <gasps> Susan, who'd wanted to move after a few weeks of hearing footsteps, now definitely wanted out. Yeah. Sydney, however, still not ready. Kids hear things. Kids say things. Kids tell stories. 
They have dreams and nightmares. They start to think are real. And that's all any of this was, just nightmares. Mm-mm. Just like how Sydney had thought that Susan's ominous feelings about the house were based on thinking a ghost or some other type of non-human entity was making the footstep sounds when it had to be one of the neighbors. Now he felt that Kevin was telling a story about the blankets being pulled off of him and his sister, Linda, because he'd heard the scratching sounds of mice. And now his imagination was getting the best of him. He'd scared himself into some bad dreams and it probably didn't help that he'd likely overheard, overheard his mother and father talking about the ghosts. Susan wasn't totally convinced, but she did see how what Sydney was saying was reasonable. And despite little Kevin and Linda wanting to leave the house, Sydney and Susan agreed to stay. <sighs> but then the exterminator found no mice. Right. No traces of mice at all. And worse, poor little Kevin and Linda started claiming that they were now being mysteriously pulled and sometimes even hit <sighs> by invisible hands. This wasn't happening in a dream. This was happening during the middle of the day. <gasps> the children got so worked up that Sydney and Susan started letting them sleep in their bedroom. A few nights later, something happened that would leave Susan with zero doubt that whatever was going on in their house had nothing to do with strange acoustics, mm-hmm. poor construction, or the imagination of children. Late one evening at approximately 2 a.m., Susan got up and walked down the hall to the nursery to feed baby Claire. Oh, dear. As she made her way back to her bedroom after nursing Claire and rocking her back to sleep, about the time she made it to her bedroom door, she felt the presence of something behind her. Susan slowly turned around, looked down the hall, and saw the figure of a young child (gasps) walking towards her. At first, she thought she was looking at her four-year-old daughter, thinking she must have got up and went to her room for some reason. She called out, Linda? At that point, the child-sized figure began to half walk, half float down the hallway (sighs) towards her. Susan didn't know what she was looking at, but she knew it certainly wasn't her daughter. As the apparition drew near, it also began to rapidly grow in height. It soon became a figure much taller than Susan herself. Its head rose to almost touch the ceiling. It was horrifying. Susan, scared silent, first backed up towards her bed, then climbed onto her bed, never taking her eyes off the entity, crawling back next to her children and husband, still unable to speak as the creature bent menacingly over her and showed its face, a face she would never forget. Later, she'd have a hard time describing it was both very human and not human at all. And she'd never forget how it felt. It felt angry. It was a face made out of shadows and anguish and rage and hate. Susan was finally able to scream and she woke up Sydney and her kids who saw nothing, but of course were terrified nonetheless. (sighs) The apparition disappeared when Susan screamed and the next day, she and her family would disappear with it. Susan told Sydney she was done. She couldn't spend another night in that house. Sydney, who'd been trying to rationalize his own growing feelings of dread the past few days, knew there was no point in fighting her. And by this point, he wanted out as well. Good. Between the footsteps and the claims of his wife and the two oldest children, Sydney had had enough. He and his Susan told the landlord they were leaving, left to stay with the family in the area until they could find a new place. Over the next <sighs> week, Sydney and some friends would return during the day to grab their things and furniture. Susan refused to ever set foot in the house again. I can't blame her. And then almost as soon as they'd gotten the last of their stuff out, another family quickly moved in. Oh, no. And the horror continued. This time, it was 25-year-old Eric Essex. Oh, my God. His wife, 23-year-old Maggie, and their infant baby, Isabella. And whatever entity or entities had chased the Maxhead family out of the home wasn't ready to accept any new roommates. One afternoon, just days after getting unpacked, Maggie was sitting with her mother in the living room when they both heard the footsteps. Oh, great. Just like with the Maxheads, the noises came from the upstairs bedroom. Yep. Maggie and her mother cried out as uh, to Eric... As the footsteps turned to stomps, angry stomps, and the three of them hurried upstairs to see what the source of the noise was. Nothing. They saw nothing, just like before, no sign of any intruder. They all agreed that it would have been impossible for anyone to make the noises they just heard and then escape the house undetected, so what was it? Hmm. A little more comfortable than the Max Teds with the supernatural, they thought that maybe they indeed had heard ghosts. But, oh well. No reason to take off running. Plenty of people lived just fine in homes with a specter or spirit. Over the next few months, she's insane. The Essexes would last longer than the Maxteds. Strange, hard to explain noises continued to be heard, and they continued to assume that they did indeed live amongst some members of the spirit world who continued to not bother them because not all spirits are malevolent. But then there were the smells. The family began to be plagued by strange, horrible odors that came and went mysteriously throughout the entire house. Odors that resembled musty or moldy stenches rather than, for example, the smell of chemicals. Ew. Or something that could be easily attributed to household cleaner or something similar. 
Sometimes the smell of rotten meat hung in the air. Sometimes the smell of sulfur. A smell they could find no source for no matter how hard they looked. And these smells did bother them. Many believe, including the Essexes, that rotten foul odors are a sign of a demonic manifestation. Great. They brought in a spiritualist who began to cleanse the house with sage, but then stopped abruptly, mumbled, this will not be enough. Seemed to look at them, seemed to look at something upstairs, and then left and refused to return to the house. Now the Essexes were truly beginning to get frightened. In addition to the new smells, the Essexes also started hearing new sounds. Sounds much more unsettling than footsteps. They would hear a low-pitched hum that would cause their ears to ring. A sound they could feel in addition to hearing. In quiet moments, it almost sounded like something uh, or some someone speaking in a low voice that wasn't quite human in a language that wasn't of this world. Mm-mm. Despite all of this, the home was close to where both Eric and Maggie worked. There were no other open houses in the area that fit their budget. And the Essexes continued to stay in the Northfleet home at number 16 Waterdales for several additional months. And then something happened that sent them running just as fast as the Maxtets. Uh-oh. Around 2 a.m., the same time of night that Susan once saw the terrifying, size-changing, menacing apparition, Eric Essex saw something equally, if not more, terrifying. Initially, he was awoken by the sound of footsteps. But this time, they came from a different location. This time, the footsteps were coming from the hallway, outside his bedroom, and from the staircase that led down to the living room. It sounded like someone or something was walking up towards his baby, Isabella's nursery. (sighs) He bolted out of bed and inspected the landing and then the rooms below, finding nothing. As he walked back up the stairs to his room, he started to hear a high-pitched whistling sound. Faint at first, it grew louder and louder as he returned to his bed. And then once he laid back down on his bed, the bed started to vibrate as the sound continued to increase in volume. Then his vibrating bed started to shake. (gasps) Just like Susan Max said before him, he wanted to yell out but couldn't make a sound. His wife lay next to him, sound asleep. Suddenly, one end of his bed started to lift up off of the ground. Uh-uh. And then Eric felt the presence of something inside the room with him and his wife. Something was watching them, something to his left. When he turned his head and looked toward the wall, he saw a vision from a nightmare. Only he was wide awake. He saw the form of a young woman standing in the dark, a woman wearing a long dress, a dress that trailed all the way down to the floor. Her shape was slightly glowing, giving off a faint pinkish-orange glow. And then when the lady began to walk towards him, Eric noticed something he couldn't believe he hadn't noticed immediately before. She had no head. Where a head should be was a dark void, darker than the surrounding nighttime blackness of the room. And then a pair of eyes opened from within that darkness. Then a mouth could be seen. Just dark, intense, cruel eyes and a mouth easily twice as big as a human mouth should be. A mouth that opened into a strange, cruel grin. And that's when Eric began to scream. Like the Maxteds before them, the Essex family told the landlord the following morning they would not be spending another night in that house. (sighs) They left immediately, only returning to grab their things. Good Lord. And they'd only be doing that during the daylight. Yeah. After the Essex family moved out, it would take a long, long time for anyone else to move in. New prospective tenant after tenant complained they just didn't like the way the place felt. Despite no one now living at number 16 Waterdales, the haunting was not over. Whatever entity had now terrified at least two families remained, and it wasn't done. The home shared a wall that we spoke of before, a wall with another home, number 14 Waterdales. And as the Essexes were moving out of their unit, a new couple was moving in next door. These tenants, Mrs. Margaret Harrison and her husband Jim, began to hear strange sounds the very first night. For the next three months, the Harrisons regularly heard the sound of heavy footsteps ascending the stairs of the vacant home next door. Knowing that the unit was vacant, they first thought, uh, you know, it might have been an intruder, called the landlord to let them know someone must have broken in. When they kept hearing it night after night, they called the landlord to let them know someone might be squatting inside of the home. Right. The landlord initially sent over a caretaker who, of course, found nothing. The police visited on a few occasions, still nothing. The sounds of climbing on the stairs continued. The Harrison spied on the house next door as often as they could, trying to catch someone coming in or leaving the home. Of course, they never caught anyone. Nothing. They just continued to wonder who or what continually needed to climb those stairs. After three months, one night when Mr. Harrison was out of town on business. Oh, God. Mrs. Harrison woke, of course. No. At 2 a.m. and heard the steps. She heard a loud, heavy, booming sound coming from next door, a crashing sound, as if something massive had fallen down those stairs. 
And then after a brief pause, it sounded as if whatever had fallen down those stairs was suddenly slammed violently up into the ceiling, hitting the floor directly beneath her bed, shaking her room. Then whatever caused the thud began to move along the ceiling below. Margaret was overcome with fear as it made a jagged, scraping sound, as if something was slowly dragging itself along the ceiling underneath her floor, or as if something was being dragged or pushed by something or someone else. Had something fallen down those stairs, or had something or someone been pushed or thrown down those stairs? The noise got louder and louder, and Margaret started to worry that whatever was making the god-awful sound was literally going to break its way through the floor and into her room, and then suddenly a dark hand moved up through the floor beside her bed. A second hand followed, and right behind some sort of dark head crowning with long, flowing hair began to emerge from the floor. She screamed. The figure vanished. The noises stopped. Margaret sat awake the rest of the night with the lights on in the kitchen, her husband returning home from work the following day, just like the two previous sets of neighbors from next door, immediately packed up and left. And as far as I know, that was it. No one else has been haunted at either number 16 or number 14 Waterdales in North Fleet since 1962. I also don't know what happened to any of the families involved. Did the Maxteds bring something with them when they moved in? An unwanted visitor? Something that stayed? Did the Harrisons take it with them when they left? Or is something still there? Something that will show itself when the next family decides to stay too long after hearing those first footsteps. Yikes. I have so many things. Yeah? Yeah? Okay. First of all, I just want to say... Why don't the husbands listen to the wives the first time? <laughs> yeah, when pattern. we say it's time to fucking go, we're not kidding. It's time to go. We, I think women tend to be more intuitive, right? So just feel that first? Yeah, and maybe it's because we're more sensitive or just... And I'm, I don't want to have like some like gender debate about sure, this, sure, but sure. just in general... I think that women are more in tune with their feelings and and more open yeah. to these paranormal kind of things. I would agree with that. I feel like, again, not to, you know, obviously there's variations. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's so annoying we even have to disclaim I know, that. I have to disclaim everything now. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I would say that the emotional intelligence of women does seem to be higher. I have, My hands are yes. shaking. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I have a few pictures just so we can get a oh, feel. Uh, this is the worst part for me. It really is because it's like I can build my own image in my head. But then yes. when you give me an image, that is what I cannot get out makes of it my real. fucking head. Oh, the shadow people. Mm-hmm. Mr. Hatman is like yeah. living in, in my frontal head. cortex. Well, this, I, this isn't too. I mean, this, this is just the North Fleet home. This first picture. This is this is oh. recent. This is just from Google Earth. Um, I, again, this happened a long time ago. Are people living there right now? As far as I know, it Let, appear to be. Oh, can we please contact them? And so you can see how it's like, it's it's two units, but built, it's the same building. Oh, it's a duplex. Yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess it would just be, yeah, just, yeah, better, better, just a duplex. <laughs> uh, but I guess it's like a two, weird Two units piece. side by side where two separate families live side by side. It's, it's a duplex. A duplex. <laughs> well, I was imagining just because of England before I saw the picture, which I didn't grab until the end of the thing. Uh, I, I was picturing like a like row housing, I think it's called. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, because I, when I, I stayed with an English family once many years ago, and that was their home. Where it's like it was like a home. You wouldn't call it like a unit. Right. It was their house. It's like a townhouse. Yeah, where like, like they, we would, they would share an interior wall with the neighbor. Right, right. Like their exterior wall was the other, uh, yeah, it was the same wall. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. a house cut in half, basically. It's two houses, one right. common wall. Is but what you're we right. Call Th- this is more of a duplex. But, yes. Well, I think, though, what's confusing and maybe like what you were expecting something different is the yeah. way that the inside is built. Interior, it's weird. Like, like again, like a puzzle, yeah. like where they're kind of overlapping. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. But, okay, it's house, normal. I'm. I'm prepared for the worst. This this next image may be what Eric Essex, uh, you know, or, or the, yeah, may have seen at 2 a.m. Oh, oh, oh. Little headless lady. That's just a random stock image of like a headless lady. And then this, and then the, this next picture is uh, Olga. This is just. Ooh, what this, is that? This is, I just got fast. This has that nothing like to do with the story. It is sideshow. It's sideshow from the 1930s. And I don't know what kind of trick with mirrors they used to make it look like that lady didn't have a head, but she could move around. Maybe she didn't head. have a head. Maybe <laughs> she actually didn't have she's a medical marvel. Um, uh, and again, not, not, a lot, not a lot of photos from this story because it happened in 1962 when it's not like, you know, horror websites were popping photos up right away. Right, right. And, and this story, for whatever reason, just never got popular enough. It's a little more obscure than a lot of yeah. the stories out there where no one, no one really did any digging. Sure. Well, and yeah, they didn't bring any investigators in. Like, they don't yeah. have much of anything in the way of proof. Yeah, exactly. Other than these brilliant women who said, we have to get out of here. Okay, so, okay, so I have been waking up okay. every night. At 3 a.m. I know that's not 2 a.m. 
Right. But every night. 3 a.m. is another common uh, time, more common in a lot of these stories. Oh, great. What do they call it? That's the, witch, the witching hour right around there? I, fuck if I know. I'm not a witch. <laughs> I believe I believe that 2, 4 a.m. little slot is the supposed witching hour. I just keep waking up for three no hours. reason. Just I wake mm-hmm. up at 3. And horror fans. 3, 302, 307. <laughs> but never, never yeah. 259 or 258. It's always like in that like 3 to 315 range. Wow. And that's new. That is new since we started doing this podcast. It's in your head. It's in your head. And horror fans. It's not in my head. Don't it quote me on the witching hour. Don't be like, it's actually 250. I don't know exactly. <laughs> uh, it's not in my head. I roll over and I look at a phone and it says 3 something a.m. That, no, that part's not in your head. I'm just yeah. saying like the stories have gotten into your head. They're, they're messing with your mind mm. or, or an entity. An entity. I have fuzzies in my mouth from my blanket. <laughs> <laughs> While you get your um, fuzzies out, I was thinking like, would you have wanted to leave after the initial footsteps? Well, you know that I already think that there is something in Kyler's room because God, we've yeah. talked about this. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm 99% sure that I've shared this. Yeah, Kyler, when, our son. When we are at home and it's bedtime, like it doesn't matter if Kyler's yeah. at home or not. I hear a little in his room almost every night whether he's there or not whether he's there or not and i can't figure out what it is because it's a different sound when he's there when he is there kyler Kyler doesn't usually get up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom but if he did i hear like a definite like rolling out of bed walking out of his room across the hall to the bathroom i hear the toilet flush like i hear the whole routine back to his i hear the water go on he's very meticulous about his hand washing even in the middle of the night And if, like you're, a, and if you're wondering why he wouldn't be there, we, we, I mean, this is like, it could be actually a good case study. Yeah. Because we have the kids at our house every other week. So they're right. with our house one week, then the next week, you know, Kyler Monroe will be with their mom and stepdad. So that is interesting that they consistently, you know, weeks on and weeks off that you're hearing something up there. Yeah. And it's not like his bedroom has an ensuite bathroom where I would be mm-hmm. hearing some sort of pipes. It's like right. our, yeah. we're in a split level house and our bedroom is here and Kyler's bedroom is directly above us. Right. Directly. Yeah. So yep, directly. I, but yeah. Well, the footsteps, and I'm glad to hear like, yeah, that you wouldn't, it's like, you know, you hear something, it's not, you're not ready to bolt because I think sometimes on these stories, it's easy to be like, why didn't they just leave when they kept hearing the footsteps? And I do think there is that argument. It's like, well, just because there may be an entity, you know, going with the premise of oh, these, yeah. this is real, that doesn't mean that it's bad because you hear no. about stories all the time that we don't share on the show. Of, you know, hauntings where they don't harm anybody. They don't do anything. Maybe you see something, but that's as bad as it gets. I'm talking to the spirit in our house right now. What are you saying? Well, I just... (sighs) Okay, when we moved in, I lived there for a long time without you being there. Because we had this, like, crazy situation where Dan was still traveling to L.A. for work. And so I spent a lot of time in that house by myself. Right. And I would just kind of say, like, hey... I feel you. It's like we can share this space together. I've always heard that if you acknowledge the spirit and and tell it that you're not trying to take its home, huh? Less of a problem. So because when you're not around, I say I'm like fuck. I'll fucking kill you. Do it. Do it. Do what you want to do. <laughs> cool. So do you're, whatever. So you're angering you the spirit, and then I, I like to say that right before I leave town, right before I get on a plane, I just like I'm like fucking do whatever you want to do this week. You can Lindsay can handle herself. No, no, I don't. I don't talk to it. Well, I, I clearly cannot handle myself, which we will tell you guys about later. Oh yeah, later. After the second yes, episode the about second our one. our first fight about scared to death. Oh yeah, situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But no, I mean, I've just been saying to it like, "Hey, I know you're here. I feel you. I don't mean you any harm." And then yeah. the other night, I was in bed, and I'm for sure it was in the bedroom. And I was like, "All right, listen, dude, I'm tired, and I don't want to fight with you. Please go away right now. Like, I know again, I'm not mad. So you're just hoping that it's like a respectful ghost." I guess. Well, like, we don't know whether or not that dad died in our house or not. And we always have said that our house has a really good you feeling. You said no. Well, I said no, but now that I, I feel something, maybe uh, it's like... I, don't, I thought he did, yeah. I mean, he had a heart attack. I thought I thought he had a heart attack in the house. But that Mi- doesn't mean he died in the house. Right. People have heart yeah, attacks yeah, yeah, and yeah, not yeah. die all the time. Okay. He died at the, the hospital. hospital. Yeah, maybe. But maybe his spirit. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Maybe his spirit's right there. <sighs> Wait, real quick before we move on. That what, was rough. What would have scared you more? A girl coming down the hall towards you that morphs into like a giant entity or a headless entity in the room kind of by the wall with like the, the dark. What would have scared me more? The, what's scarier? The, the morphing thing. I think me too. Because it would be like, feel like uh, it was going to consume you. Right. Like, right? Yeah. Where the headless thing just felt like, in my mind, she was just floating. She okay. didn't seem as, as angry or nefarious. Okay. I think it's the right word. I, I love so. to pretend I know how to use big words. I think you nailed it. I think it's nefarious. <laughs> no, I said that for years know. as nefarious because that's the way it's spelt. And then I and then I, I think you are correct. I think you are correct. Nefarious. And and last thing, why why does the screaming seem to help? I always wonder that. Like why why would screaming matter? It's like in all of those examples that's when what the person broke it? built like their emotions to the point that they screamed out. 
Mm. That's when the entity seemed to disappear. So just odd. Oh, I'm, well, I was kind of thinking that the entity had control over it. Like, like that person mm. was feeling so like stiff, like couldn't scream out. Yeah. And they could scream once the entity let go. Because so it was simultaneous that Eesh. the screaming and the entity, the screaming would happen and the entity would right. disappear, right? Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah. Okay. So so far, so we've we talked also, about. If, if anybody wants yeah. to reach out to people that are living there, I'd be so curious if anything's happening. Mm-hmm, if anything's happening now, I'll take an update on that. <laughs> um, okay. So now we we kind of discussed ghosts that uh, could be harmless, ghosts that at the very least like to scare people. Now we're going to go further with this next story. Oh, okay. Earlier, I said that like you know maybe they're about the same level of uh, scary. Actually, when I really think about, it, I think this next story is scarier because this is the possibility. That a spirit could not only scare you, that it could then possess you, and not only possess you, that it could cause you to kill. That you could use your body to murder someone else. That is the premise of this next story. The sage isn't burning anymore. Do you think we're still safe? Uh, I can still smell it a little bit. Does that count for anything? I don't know. <laughs> okay, we we visited a similar tale in the first episode of Scared to Death. Uh, we, re- we revisit... The same horrible question now. If you can, in fact, become possessed, you know, can you be controlled and can you be, you know, actually uh, forced to to kill, to, to, to lash out violently? I think so. Since I wasn't actually there for any of these stories, I, of course, never truly know if they're real or not. Some, I hope, never really happen because of what they represent. The possibility of, you know, some sort of life existing beyond this plane. That's very exciting to me. That being said, I do not hope this next story is real. I really hope it's not true. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Uh, also, there are internet whisperings that this story is the basis of the based on a true story upcoming horror film, The Conjuring 3. Oh, fuck my life. Those movies are terrifying. the scariest movies ever. Mm-hmm. Th- those are the only ones that really like in my heart. Well, chattering on the internet says that this tale that I'm going to tell is the you know true basis for the next Conjuring film. Cool. So uh, we're not going to see the Conjuring Three. Just <laughs> it's it's uh, it's it's creepy. Uh, that's set to come out in yeah 2020. Are are you ready? Um. Yes, I am prepared. <laughs> Time now for the tale of the demonic possession of both David Glatzel and Arnie Johnson. In 1980, Carl and Judy Glatzel had recently acquired a rental home in Brookfield, Connecticut, little town of around 16,000 people, 43 miles northeast of New York City. The previous residents of the rental had left in a hurry. In fact, they'd left in such a hurry, they left most of their belongings behind. Uh-huh. The house was full of furniture, boxes of old junk, silverware, pots and pans, small appliances, even clothes in the closets. Not a good sign. Yeah, it wasn't as if they just, you know, it was as if they just thrown whatever they could kind of quickly toss into a suitcase, you know, wrap it up and just, just left. They just bounced. The house was also a mess, needed a lot of light construction work to get it ready to rent again. The Glatzels, of course, thought this was strange. But they also didn't think initially anything sinister was behind the sudden move. People make strange, head-scratching decisions all the time. The Glass just wanted the place cleaned up, fixed up, so they could quickly rent it out. So Carl and Judy, their two children, 11-year-old David and 26-year-old Debbie, got to work. To speed up the process, Carl, Judy, Debbie, and David all temporarily moved in while they cleaned and renovated the home. Uh-oh. And then, during the course of the renovation, during the middle of the night, after about a month of taking out old junk cleaning things up, fixing things up, something terrible happened to young David. He awoke in the middle of the night to what he described as a man with big black eyes, a thin face with animal features, jagged teeth, pointed ears, horns and hoofs standing above him. The monster stared down into his soul, clearly relishing the fear in his eyes, and then little David felt a shift inside of him. It felt as if something had entered his chest, and then he felt cold. And then the beast slid down off of him and scurried out of his room. David Uh laid awake in fear for what seemed like hours, but was probably minutes. Then he ran to where his parents were sleeping and told them what had just happened. Carl and Judy chalked it all up to a nightmare. And it was, just not the dream kind. Regular nightmares don't usually cause a kid to become sullen, irritable, withdrawn the next day, which is what happened to David. And then the following day after that, Judy actually witnessed what seemed to be an unseen force actually shove her son. 
She, she quickly began to rationalize what she'd seen. David must have just been goofing around. She didn't see what she thought she saw. She must just be tired from working on the home. But then more strange, hard-to-explain activity followed. Odd scratches and bruises began to appear on David's chest and legs. Oh, no. Injuries that seemed to have occurred while he was sleeping. Odd noises started to come from the attic. Noises everyone heard. Noises the family would talk about at breakfast. Later, as David was helping clean out a back room, he had another paranormal encounter that couldn't just be chalked up to a bad dream since it happened during the middle of the afternoon when he was wide awake. David was sorting through some junk in an upstairs room, trying to figure out what to throw away, what to either give to Goodwill or try and sell, when suddenly an old man with burnt, blackened skin appeared out of nowhere. And he didn't just see this man, he felt him. The man gave him a shove, pushed him to the floor, shouted, Beware! before fading away as if he was never there in the first place. David, understandably completely terrified, after telling his parents what had just happened, he ran out of the house, refused to come back inside, His parents eventually did coax him back in, convincing their traumatized 11-year-old that he was just imagining things. Oh, my God. They eventually persuaded him to try and forget about what he'd seen, even though secretly they were starting to worry about what type of home they'd purchased. Mm -hmm. Strange events continue over the next few days. David becomes more withdrawn, lashing out at nothing, not at all like his normal happy-go-lucky self. He starts seeing dark entities all the time now, the man with the burnt skin who he said had been threatening him to steal his soul, the horned-hoofed beast. David also claimed that sometimes the beast would appear as an old man with a white beard dressed in a flannel shirt and jeans. Very specific. And then one day, Carl found his son sitting in a trance-like state, staring across the room at a blank wall. When Carl reached out to put his hand on his shoulder and ask him if he was okay, he turned and stared at Carl with eyes that Carl didn't recognize. Eyes that caused him to recoil away from his own son and spoke in a voice that was not his own, quoting biblical passages in Latin, also quoting John Milton's Paradise Lost, a book Carl was positive his young son was not familiar with. Alarmed, Carl and Judy searched for a priest. They were convinced that their son, David, was demonically possessed. David's grown sister, Debbie, also worried. Not just for David, but for herself. Oh. She didn't want to be alone around her little brother anymore. She asked her 19-year-old boyfriend, Arnie Johnson, to move in with them. She was terrified. She wanted protection from demonic entities she now was convinced were lurking inside the home. David began to act out even more shortly after Arnie's arrival. Oh. If anyone thought he was faking his possession, that thought completely vanished when Carl, Judy, Debbie, and Arnie all claimed to witness David actually rise off the ground and levitate directly in front of them during one of his strange trances. And then, even more shocking, the family watched as unseen hands attempted to choke David, (gasps) toss him around like a ragdoll. He also threatened his family with murder, specifically talking repeatedly about stabbing them. What was terrorizing this boy? After this incident, a local Catholic parish, St. Joseph's, ended up sending four different priests to the home, kicking off a series of exorcisms. After the first exorcism, Ed and Lorraine Warren, (gasps) the famed demonologist behind the stories that led to the movies The Conjuring and Annabelle and others, the demonologists happened to live nearby, and they also got involved, attending the remaining exorcisms. Lorraine allegedly witnessed a black mist materializing next to David, an apparent indication of a malevolent presence. Arnie was present at the final exorcism, and apparently he got so caught up in the proceedings that at one point he interjected to instruct the stubborn demon or demons to go to him if they had to go to someone, but to leave the kid David alone. Four separate times he challenged the demon, calling it a coward, telling it to leave David alone, take him instead. And according to Judy... David would later say that he watched the horned beast he'd seen the first night in his room leave his body and enter Arnie's. Gross. After the fourth exorcism, David became himself again. David's parents took him to a psychiatrist and their family physician. David was, according to his doctors, now a normal child. Arnie was not normal. Oh, not okay. Not anymore. Up until challenging whatever was inside of David, Arnie had been the proverbial good guy. When money was tight, he dropped out of high school to get a full-time job and help out his mom. He even bought his mom a car so she wouldn't have to walk to and from work. He was well-liked and worked hard. But then Arnie's personality... Is it colder in here? It's freezing in here. But then Arnie's personality began to shift significantly. His girlfriend, Debbie, noticed that now he was exhibiting symptoms very similar to those they had recently, that had recently plagued her brother. 
He would sometimes fall into a trance, make strange, bestial growling sounds. He would hurl insults. Then he would snap out of it and have no recollection of what had just happened. That's not bad. Deciding they needed to get out of the house, Debbie and Arnie moved into an apartment owned by a man named Alan Bono. 40-year-old Alan ran a pet kennel called the Brookfield Pet Motel. Debbie took a job as a dog groomer there. And the young couple's knife initially seemed rather peaceful and idyllic after all that went on at the Glatzel's rental house, but it didn't take long for that to change. Arnie began acting out more and more. He became more distant. His trances continued. He still didn't remember them, but he would sometimes talk about a beast visiting him. Debbie now believed that the demon that had haunted her brother, had possessed her brother, had followed them and was threatening Arnie. She knew things were bad, but she didn't know just how bad they would become. No one did. (sighs) On February 16th, 1981... Arnie called out of work, choosing instead to spend the day with Debbie and his sister Wanda at the at their job at the kennel. Debbie's cousin Mary also spending the day at the kennel. It was President's Day. School was closed. As the gang goofed around at the kennel, playing with what I can only imagine was an endless parade of cute puppies, Alan Bono showed up and took them all out to lunch at a local bar. After they'd all had drinks, they returned to the kennel, and Arnie and Debbie got into some kind of argument about Alan. The argument shifted to Arnie and Alan arguing, and then suddenly and seemingly out of nowhere, Arnie fell into a trance, started to make guttural sounds. Oh, God. Staring intensely at Alan, he spoke of the beast. He spoke of a desire for blood. His eyes darkened. His body shook. Then Arnie grinned maniacally, and he pulled out his pocket knife. <gasps> Dave would later, Dave, Debbie would later recall feeling the presence of evil in the room with them. She felt that Arnie was no longer Arnie. The beast had taken over, uh, taken over Arnie just like it had taken over her brother. Alan Bono's face made it clear he also recognized he was no longer arguing with Alan. Sadly, this all happened too fast for Alan to escape. In the blink of an eye, Arnie was suddenly on top of Alan, his knife punching in and out of Alan's stomach and chest as he snarled like an animal in a fit of rage. David had once talked about stabbing when the beast had been inside of him, and now Arnie was doing exactly that. Alan's blood sprayed out, covered Arnie's chest and face. Shortly after the police showed up and arrested Arnie, charged him with murder, he said, the devil made me do it. Arnie would later insist that he had no memory of the stabbing. He would say that he blacked out before the stabbing began and something else the beast had taken over. Debbie, who witnessed this happen, she and her family believed Arnie. They believed him enough uh, after what they witnessed with David that they would come to court and be a part of his defense. Oh. The defense strategy his uh, defense attorney submitted to the court would go on to become infamous, nicknamed the devil made me do it defense. It's still mentioned occasionally in law schools today. Arnie's defense attorney, Martin Manella, stated that Johnson was not guilty on account of demonic possession. Martin told the presiding judge that Johnson had taken part in an exorcism performed on Debbie Glatzel's younger brother, and according to eyewitnesses during the event, Johnson had successfully dared the demons to enter his own body. The Bridgeport Catholic Diocese confirmed that they had sent clergy to investigate an event involving the younger brother at the Glatzel's house, but refused to comment any further on the matter once formal charges were brought against Arnie. Manella claimed he had a mountain of evidence, including taped recordings and expert testimony by famous Connecticut demonologist Evan Lorraine Warren, which he planned to unearth during the trial to bolster his defense. Unfortunately, the judge, Robert Callahan, flatly refused to admit any of Manila's defense claims involving the supernatural, saying, Oh, no. He stated, I'm not going to allow the defense of demon possession, period. And then the Hartford Current local paper reported that, while admitting he's not sure whether the demon possession is possible, Callan said, he knows it's not a legal defense and considers evidence of it irrelevant, unprovable, and needlessly confusing to a jury. So he's not saying that personally he disagrees. He's just saying legally there's no precedent. Mm-hmm. Unable to hear any details of the exorcisms, a jury soon found Johnson guilty, not of murder, but of manslaughter. He was sentenced on December 18, 1981, to 10 to 20 years in prison. Four years later, he's released on good behavior. He described as being a model prisoner. While Arnie served his sentence, Debbie Glatzel waited for him to be released. And then the two got married when he was released. Wow. So he marries the woman who watched him with her own eyes stab Alan Bono to death. But he was possessed. She never believed he was in control of his body when the crime occurred. She continued to believe, as did her parents, that the same demon that had taken control of her brother also took control of Alan. She continued to believe that the devil did indeed make him do it. And then a 2014 article in the Hartford Current revealed that Deborah and Arnie, still together, wow, happily married, they had two kids together, now have two grandchildren. She works as a certified nurse's assistant. He works as a construction superintendent. Superintendent. Also, as of at least as recent as 2014, 
Arnie's defense attorney, Martin Manella, stands by his demonic possession defense strategy. He said, If you believe in God, you got to believe in the devil. And what I saw in Arnie as a young guy has profoundly affected me the rest of my life. Wow. He said that back in 1981, he heard the tapes of young David Glatzel speaking the names of 42 demons in Latin. Wow. Also, he said that if the judge would have allowed his defense, he had the Brookfield, Connecticut police chief lined up as a witness. Because that chief was prepared to testify that he saw David, while possessed, speak like a beast... And levitate off the ground in front of him. The police chief said he witnessed that. So did the devil or some other demon or demons really make Arnie Johnson kill a man? This is what most of those who were there continue to believe to this day. Is the devil still with Arnie Johnson? Well, demonologist Ed Warren, who passed away in 2006, who visited Arnie during the trial and was friends with Arnie after his release until his death, didn't think so. Hmm. He said... Possession doesn't last 24 hours a day. It comes quickly and leaves quickly. Arnie understands what happened to him. He now knows if something happens, how to ward it off, and he won't be stupid enough to take on the devil again. Wow. Crazy, right? All the elements of that case is a very unique one. So, so interesting. I find so it very unique. Here. So cold in here. Uh, and real quick pictures, this one. Just so you, this is Arnie Johnson. This uh, this first picture is Arnie Johnson right after his arrest. Young man. Uh, there's another picture of his arrest. I just keep waiting for really scary pictures. No, this is just pictures of his arrest. Uh, this is Ed and Lorraine Warren. Uh, this next one from the time of uh, his arrest. I don't know that I ever knew what they looked like. Yeah, that's that. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's I think that's around this when this incident happened. Lorraine would live until just recently. She lived many, many years. And uh, and then this next thing, this I mean, I do think this relates. <laughs> <laughs> you are the worst. I'm not looking. I do think this relates. You cannot trick me. This this next image, I think. <laughs> What? This devil. That devil has got a. a he's he's munching out the legs. Yeah, he's gnashing his teeth. Oh, he's. I see. I thought he was. He's, he's snacking. Doing some weird jerking off thing. No. Well, his arm is going like this. Yeah, it's a little jerk off motion, but now he's he's got he's, he's happy. He's got you know two legs. <laughs> I love how you you just immediately start laughing. You're the worst liar ever. <laughs> I feel I feel like after all these devil pictures, we need it. We need a nicer picture. So this this is is devilish. I'm not going to lie about that, but just as a little bit of a palate cleanser, can we get one more devil image up on the uh, up on the screen for our YouTube? This is just some deviled eggs. <laughs> <laughs> You're such an idiot. Delicious. I so, hate I hate hard boiled eggs, and deviled eggs are disgusting. I know. I like them. Of course you do, because you're. Gross. A little little palate cleanser, but uh, but back back to, back to the story. Would you ever challenge it? Like, okay, let's say you're an exorcism. No. Well, never, well what, what if it was one of the kids? That's what I was just going to say. If it was one of the kids, I would definitely be like, come on, buddy. Get inside of me. Yeah. I mean. Also, maybe it'd be <sighs> fun. <laughs> I don't know how fun it would be. I mean, I mean, a lot of elements to this story. A lot of like, you know, like kind of. Whoa. Why did that just happen? Why did, why did we just hear our scary. Uh, Honestly, <laughs> did, I didn't touch a thing. And it just went off. Oh my God, that was scary. Producer Joe just spoke in my ear. That's why I screamed because I wasn't expecting to hear a voice. Okay. Weird. You know, on tech glitches. Yes. I I have them on my, when I work on these stories, also, you know, a lot of uh, people listening know I work on Time Suck as well, another podcast. Never seem to have tech glitches when I'm doing like uh, research on something historical. But when I'm putting these, like my computer just blacked, a brand new computer just went black. Oh my my uh, my phone did that today when I was trying to text you about coming into the studio. Really? Yeah, it's so it just, weird. Just went like completely black screen. Completely black screen. But it wasn't turned off. Nope, wasn't turned off. It was just like I had to like close out of messages. A oh, weird. And then go back to, but it was weird because I was like, why did that for no reason? Yeah, mine was like it just was suddenly unresponsive, and I shut it down. And I was and I was getting ready, but God dang it! Like like this is uh, I'm gonna have to take this into Apple. Right. My other computer. I got this computer because my other one was uh you know kind of fritzing out. Kind and, of fritzing out. The other one was dead. Yeah, and then I and then I opened up the screen. It's totally fine again. Uh, well, there's, there's, yeah. Also, but, like, go ahead. Oh, before we get, I know you have some tales. Yes. Of uh, what's been going on in our lives. Well, no, but I was going to say in, in this the story, studio. Yeah. Oh. The, the candle behind your head on the second shelf to your left. Yeah. Uh, so all, all of these candles are on like a remote control. Yeah. Uh, except for a handful. And 
one candle on three different occasions, Harmony or Joe has come in and found it on when all the other candles have been oh, off. Yeah. They'll just come in and randomly it will be on. So weird. So weird. All I mean, I, I, I guess you could like explain glitches. it away, like a glitchy battery kind of thing, but probably not. <laughs> or some type of energy, some type of, of force. Now, yeah. this this last story, though, it, oh, yeah. what... what um, yeah, it, you know, it has a lot of over-the-top elements. I, like, I get how a court system can be like, come on, really? Like, the right. devil made me do it. The most interesting thing I find, I guess a few of them, but one is that the person who witnessed it happened and who witnessed her brother did marry this guy and no stories of him being anything other than a great guy before or after the incident. Right. You know, he went on to be like a productive member of society, mm-hmm. you know, married, couple kids, never any legal trouble ever again. Right. That's unusual to me. And according to this lawyer, if we can take this lawyer's word, you know, all these years later, which I mean, I have no reason not to. Yeah. Very strange that he said he had, you know, the police chief lined up. I know that in particular. Because you just think of that as an authority figure. And somebody, I, th- I when I think of a police chief, I think of somebody who's, you know, they've seen a lot of shit. And critical thinking skills are yep. high up there, right? Yeah, yeah. You got to be fairly logical. I mean, as a police chief, you can't, you can't be showing up to crime scene after crime scene and keep your job and be like, ah, probably demons. <laughs> That would be great if there Wrap was somebody who did that. <laughs> right. No need to search for suspects. Demons. Devil did it. Devil did it. Next case. Fun. Fun for people. They would get away with so oh, much. Yeah. Like if you're living in a small town and that was your police chief, that'd be a great one if you were a criminal. Was your small town police chief in Riggins like that? Uh, Could yeah. you have gotten away with things there? <laughs> the devil made me do I it. I, I don't know. I think I think you could have gotten away with things where I grew up because you'd been like, ah, this is Cummins boy. He's good. He's local. <laughs> we'll pin it on somebody from out of town. Perfect. I think it was more of that that kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, so that that really makes this story, I guess, more credible. Would right. Be the word. And of course, there's people who claim that Ed and Lorraine Warren are nothing but like hosters and blah, blah, blah. There's always going to be that. Right. But, but their movies are very scary. Oh, uh, very so, scary. And this, fake or not, <laughs> scary as shit. In this case that I was not familiar with prior to this week. Yeah. It just, yeah, it has a lot of interesting details. The yeah. number of witnesses, the family, the 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 family, uh, you know, David and uh, Debbie and yeah. the Glatzels, they never they never changed their story on this. They never backed away. They never thought any. They never thought Arnie was guilty. I mean, again, because that's also their son-in-law. Then sure, sure. Oh yeah. No one would prefer a son-in-law to be a murderer. But they never, ever, they were part of the defense. They never thought he did it. I mean, he, his body did it, but they never yeah, thought Yeah, yeah, but like he, he, did he didn't make that conscious choice right. to do that. Right. Right, right. I don't know. The second story didn't really freak me out other than, you know, their kid gets possessed and then the, the demon jumps from one body to another body. Yeah. But yeah, you know, it, it's interesting about these stories. But the first story probably scary. actually creeped me out more. I thought the yeah. second story would be would be scary, and you never and I never know even preparing these until I present them how scary they're really going to be. Yeah, you know, because I kind of put them together. But uh, you know, because I I won't say what it is. But next week there's one of these ones that I didn't. I, I initially thought about not even putting it in the episode because I'm like, ah, I don't know. But then the more I read about, it, I'm like, this is just creeping me out. Right. Some and sometimes we were talking about that in the car the other day. Mm-hmm. Sometimes things that uh, don't seem that scary in the moment are what stick with you later. Oh, yeah. And actually on that, Black Eyed Children, that one stuck with you. Oh, okay. So. We're talking about our first fight. Can I get my related handy, to scared can to I death? get my handy dandy notebook out? Yeah, yeah. Because I had to make some notes about what was scaring me and what was happening because there's a lot going on. Right. Right. So thing one is uh, Dan was out of town. Uh, in between shows, he calls uh-huh. me. We're just checking in, and it's doing about stand-up shows. If you're listening, you don't know what I do. Yeah, uh, oh yeah, that would sound so weird. <laughs> he was out doing a strip show. Yeah. Uh, hey, don't judge. Working with the Idaho Thunder from it wouldn't be down under. What would it be? Just the thunder from the mount, mountain thunder? I don't know. <laughs> Potato thunder. <laughs> Potato thunder sounds like a really sad strip show. <laughs> well, Potato bodies and thunder. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm out of, I'm okay, out so of he's town. out of town. The kids are at their mom's house, so I'm home alone by myself. And where we live, it gets dark really early now at this mm-hmm. time. And so it's about eight o'clock, and I mean it is dark outside. Yeah. And I'm in the kitchen, and the doorbell rings. While we're on the phone, yeah, that's what I said. We're on. Oh the yeah, phone. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm sorry, and I'm I said, in. You're uh, out of town. I'm on the phone. I'm on with the you. east. I want East Coast time for so, so for me. I'm back. It's later. I'm after my show. I'm ready to go to bed. But yes, I'm, but yeah, you're at eight o'clock. I guess it, it didn't matter. None of that mattered. <laughs> And, and I'm the bad storyteller. <laughs> Sorry, okay. this is our Un- life. unnecessary okay. details. So, okay. anyways, on the phone, Dan's not there. Home alone. It's dark out. 
doorbell rings. And I was like, uh, the way our house is laid out, our kitchen, this, this is the front of the house. So kitchen window and then down here is the front door and the kitchen kind of L shapes. And I immediately, boom, dropped to the ground in the corner of the kitchen. I was like, oh my God, oh my God, freaking out. Dan goes- I'm annoyed. Oh, he's, not only is he annoyed, he says, Lindsay, go, go answer the door. Right. And, and I just immediately start screaming. I'm like, are you out of your fucking mind? Are you yeah, fucking very crazy? Fuck you. Don't you remember the fucking black eyed children? They show up in the middle of the night. I'm not answering the door. And he's like, but then you're not going to know who is there. I'm like, no one is there. I'm not fucking going. Mind yeah. you, like the dogs weren't even really barking. It was all super fucking weird. So we scream and yell at each other. Yeah, because in my defense, my thought process is, and I think there's validity to this still. There is not. There is. Not. I'm picturing you. I'm picturing a perfectly reasonable explanation. I'm picturing a neighbor coming over, knocking, something, you know, happened, or maybe something's gone on in the neighborhood. Maybe their dog got lost. Some, we, I mean, we know most of our neighbors. Our neighbors all have my phone number. Okay. They would call me at right. eight o'clock at night. It's dark out. It's creepy. Well, okay. But I'm still thinking, I'm still thinking a neighbor has come over. And what I'm worried about, just knowing you, is I'm worried that if you don't at least see who came to the door, then you're going to get all worked up in your, and to be totally selfish, then I'm not going to get good sleep because I'm going to have to be calming you down forever. And you're going to, you know, for the next several nights, because you're going to be convinced that some monster was at the door. Right. If you don't see it and find out that it's not a monster. But what if I would have opened the door and it was a fucking monster? That now I would have sucked for you. Now I'm home alone. Right. And mind you, I'm like screaming at him. I'm, you know, fuck you. I'm not fucking answering the yeah, you fucking were, you door. You were very like, scared. Oh, I was so fucking freaked out. So, so scared. <laughs> So the dogs, I hear the dogs are going crazy. Yeah, the dogs eventually started going crazy. They weren't at first, but I think that they somehow were like reacting to my reaction. Sure. Mo- Mom's losing her mind. Yep. What's going Mom, on? Mom wants us to kill. So I finally like take a few deep breaths. I calm down and I'm like, okay. Right. I'm going to go check the door. Mm-hmm. I walk over to the front door. I open the front door and there is fucking nothing outside. Right. Absolutely nothing. I'm so scared. I'm more annoyed because in my mind, I'm thinking there was a fucking neighbor if you it look earlier. A, like, well, well. Hold on. But why would, like, okay, so as I'm about to close the door, there is a fucking sticky note on the mm. front door from the neighbor across the street who, like, we had something delivered to the house and <laughs> it was accidentally delivered to her house. And I so, just thought of, sorry, I just thought of, like, it would have been so great if it was a sticky note from the Black Eyed Children. <laughs> hey, came by to try and take your soul. I'll try later. We'll Sorry. come back. We'll be back by tomorrow. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> so annoyed that you weren't home. Why didn't you answer? Just or maybe just be back later. Sign Black Eyed Children. <laughs> Brb. <laughs> Brb. Be right back, Black Eyed Children. Yeah. So it was a neighbor. So I was right in my defense. In my defense, I was right. You were right, but it was so preposterous. Yeah. It's a neighbor that we're not particularly close to, and it's, I think it's the one neighbor who doesn't have my phone number. Yeah. But it was so scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you were you were really freaked out. Really Absolutely. Freaked out. I have some other things to share with you. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, I mean, if you're following me on Instagram, uh, at Queen of the Suck, you will know that I have now installed five nightlights. And also, really, Queen of the Suck, no, this is important. It's because she's, it's related to Time Suck, another podcast, as opposed to just a random <laughs> moniker where you're like, I suck so good. I'm the Queen of the Suck. Nobody thought that. People would think that. If, if they didn't know about Time Suck and they're listening and they're just like, why is there a thing called Queen of the Suck? I mean, okay. I think it requires an explanation. Okay. But maybe we don't ever have to explain it again. Okay. That's fair. Fair. Also, thanks for all the DMs of like eggplants. So, you know, <laughs> I guess it is a bit confusing. Kind of, there's a lot of like delete, 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 delete. Funny. Okay. Yeah. It's very. Yeah. What was that? That was a vehicle uh, in the neighborhood. Oh, I didn't like that. Um, so I've installed five nightlights in our bedroom because I can no longer sleep in the dark, which I used to love sleeping in the dark, could only sleep. It was completely dark in our right. room. Now there's there's strategically placed one on either side of the head of the bed, uh, one by the dresser, one by the other dresser, and one by All the true. door. And I leave them on 24-7. They are Some never off. Lights. I never want the room to be dark. And on top of that, somebody told me that mirrors that are attached to the outside wall nope. are, are like portals for demons. God! Mirrors are my thing. We're not getting any mirrors put around our bedroom. Dude, there is a mirror on my long dresser that is attached. Any more mirrors. Any more mirrors. I don't, yeah. I've, I've been hanging scarves over it. Because I, I can't, I can't look at it. I that's, don't think that's my thing. Mirrors. God dang it. Well, when we we need to move that mirror, <sighs> it, I, it needs to. It has to do with it being on the outside wall. Yeah. If I if I ever saw my here's my biggest fear paranormal oh, tell wise, me. is that I'm looking in a mirror 
I'm just thinking of future pranks. Oh my God. If I'm looking in a mirror and then behind me in oh the God. mirror is a creepy ass demon monster thing. Yeah. I think I would, I might actually just, I probably have a heart attack. <laughs> if I ever have, if I ever have a heart attack, I want, I, want, I, I want everyone to assume that I saw a demon thing in the mirror. If I have, a, if I die of a heart attack near, near, a, mirror, near a mirror, it's because a monster was in it. Okay. You know, just because you have a heart attack, you don't necessarily die, right? You if, can just have a heart attack. Right. I know that. I know okay. that. If I, have, if I have a regular heart attack and live, then I'll be able to tell everybody what <laughs> happened. Heart attack. Let's see what else has been happening. Oh yeah. And, and so also with the lights, I also bought a sleep mask that now I sometimes just sleep with all the lights on in the house and put a sleep mask on because mm -hmm. then they can't come in at all. Because like yeah. even with the nightlights, it's still a little shadowy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I, and, and then like the way our house is set up, our bathroom is not en suite. So I have to go out into the hallway. Right. It's just a tiny uh, little jog. So I leave the bathroom light on, basement. the hall light on, the basement light on. <laughs> I, all the lights are on. True. We have a lot of lights on in our house Do you now. know that old country song, Every Light in the House is On? Nope. The Backyard's Lit. Like the break of dawn? Nope. Okay, well, if anybody knows that song, that's going to be my, my theme song. I, I won't sing to you. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's kind of all that's been happening this past week. And and, and, and that actually brings up something I want to say. It's like, uh, you know, you, you've been having these scary stories. You know, we've been experiencing things. And I know that a lot of people, you know, watching the show have also been experiencing yeah. things. And so... I don't know exactly when, but but here soon. Here in the next probably few weeks, yes. we would like to start adding a story or two at the really small, maybe sometimes three, to the end of the episode. Mm -hmm. So we'll have, you know, our two stories that we're sharing of things that have, uh, you know, supposedly actually happened out in the world. That's the, you know, the the criteria. Mm -hmm. Is it supposed to be, you know, real encounters, someone saying this was true? And then a lot of you also have your stories of things that you feel really happened. And you've been e emailing them, you know, to our time suck addresses and to uh, our info at scared to death podcast.com. We have a new right. email address, my story, my story at scared to death podcast.com. So, so, you know, send your stories of things that are, that have happened to you or to happen to people around you to my story at scared to death podcast.com. I'll put that in the episode description. Yeah. And then here in a few weeks, we will start ending the show with those stories. Yeah. And currently I'm the one reading and replying to all the emails. And I just want to say, I'm sorry if I'm not getting back to you, but sometimes I start to read these stories. I'm like, nope. And I just, I have freaks to, you out. it freaks but me out. But you're saving them, right? For these kind of oh, things. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I have them all or like, I'll read it. And then I'm mm -hmm. like, I can't reply to that right now because I'm already scared. I'm already freaked out it's about seven o'clock at night i yeah. have to go to bed in a few hours like it's but on that note we have gotten a lot of emails um about people listening and their phones glitching yes, yes. uh somebody a young kid um his car just completely broke down in the middle of a story just uh, crazy yeah just like yeah. some really creepy ass shit so all of that should go to my story uh, at yeah, my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I was stumbling on that. Um, and, and then anything else, if you have like questions or anything that is not your story, you can keep emailing info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. And mm -hmm. that's where we can kind of address other issues. We're just trying to keep this and, and organized. It helps yes. us keep it all together. And thanks again on the growth. I mean, you know, it's and, and tell, we're hearing lots of stories about people telling other people, you know, to, yeah. to listen or watch. A lot, a lot of people are starting to watch on YouTube, yeah. which is awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And yeah, and it's helping. I mean, we had, you know, I had hopes for what the show's kind of overall download numbers would be after, you know, my, my thing was like the first two months, what I was hoping. And, and the numbers were beaten, beat that number in the first 10 days. Yeah. So uh, amazing, amazing that it's really starting to spread. Thank and, you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, thank you. And do you have anything else for this one? Um, Did we get any new toys this week? Well, we just, oh, yes. to address a few things. So obviously you saw, um, we did a little Instagram. I know it was very long because I did not know how to do like a sage burning, but you saw that earlier. <laughs> we also have a um, portable like thermostat in here. And so when, when I came- It feels so cold sometimes in here. Well, yeah. Now when I came in today- this studio is at 64 degrees and the rest of the studio is set to about yeah. 70. It has gone up to 66, but I'm thinking that's just body heat. 66 is 66 point what? 66.8. It's not 666. Oh, I know. I saw close. your brain go there. <laughs> uh, also, we got a spirit box. But we don't know how to use it yet. Yeah. Uh, Producer Joe ordered this gift for us and mm -hmm. I guess it scans radio frequencies. Our concern now is just that like... Used by some ghost hunters. Yeah. I mean, it's supposed to be like the most reliable thing. We need to get out into somewhere where there's not <laughs> like a radio station. Right. Basically, all I'm finding is some AM and FM like news and music. Right, but, right. Uh, if you know really how to use this or you've had some good stories... Again, send that into my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. 
And yeah, just for all the usual things to find us, make sure mm-hmm. that you're following us on Instagram, uh, Facebook, all the places, all the things. We're there. And we'll come up with a name for you. I know people are wanting know. to have a name, like, like for listeners. Scaredy cats. Nothing's, yeah, nothing's Lame. hit us the be- you know, great yet, but we're, we're thinking about it. We're thinking about it. And we yeah. like that you guys are thinking about it. I know. So fun. So fun. So fun. And, and so thanks for today. Um, Thanks for listening to Scared to Death, Bad Magic Production. Thanks to the Bad Magic Production team, Harmony Velikamp on social media, Joe Paisley producing and directing, Zach Flannery soon to be helping out with production as well. Thanks to Joe Paisley, Zach Cohen, and Jeffrey Montoya for the sound beds. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Scared to Death Podcast. Subscribe everywhere you listen, including on YouTube at Bad Magic Productions. Enjoy your nightmares. Get scared to death. Stay scared. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through but has no home here within scared to death. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit Spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply.